Hi, my name is Trudy Rosquay and I am the founder of Vitality 40+. I am not only a master personal trainer specialising in women's and children's physical health, but also a menopause ambassador who is passionate about spreading the word and breaking all those mystical taboos over the M word. I have created a series of podcasts with a variety of guests, not only on women's health issues, but subjects that relate to men's health and well-being also, unlocking all the answers to questions that you may have wanted to ask, but unsure as to where to get the information. Hi, and welcome to another podcast with Vitality 40 Plus. Today's session is all about divorce. Now, I can think that many of you will be thinking, hmm, where does that come in, anxiety and stress and well-being? Well, I think I don't have to really define that, do I? Um, my, my idea of when looking at these podcasts and also thinking about how I can incorporate these routine and, and sometimes very traumatic um, procedures in our life or processes in our life, uh, and I'd like to try to find people who can help to um, uh, navigate the route through um, and try to minimize any stress uh, through the divorce process on this particular occasion. So today I'm going to introduce you to Carly James, who um, has been a family law lawyer for over 16 years, uh, based in Jersey. Um, and welcome, Carly. Hi, Judy. Thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> so um, I'm going to actually, because I've got, I've got Carly's miniature CV in front of me, which is very impressive. But um, I'm going to ask Carly to introduce herself uh, to our listeners. So hi, everyone that's listening. Um, so as Judy said, my name is Carly James. I am a family lawyer. I'm also an advocate in Jersey. So I studied and did my LPC, my um, law degree in England, came back to Jersey and qualified locally. Um, so I am an advocate. Um, I um, have my own firm, so I launched Confidant Family Law. It was uh, Confidant's birthday on Tuesday of this week, actually. Happy um, birthday for Confidant. Thank you. <laughs> Confidant was one years old on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, having practiced in this area of law for so long, I didn't want to um, launch a firm or build a firm that just recreated what other firms were doing on the island. It was really important to me to take a step back and to really look at the common problems encountered by clients going through the process, because it's a hugely traumatic and difficult experience to get divorced. And then when you throw in the legal process and lawyers, it just exacerbates that stress. And I wanted to build a firm that tried to remove as many of those problems as possible. So it's really important to me um, to, um, to cure problems. And I did that by using technology. Um, and I built some bespoke software um, and that's bespoke to Confidant. And it's um, a piece of software that clients can use. It's complimentary, it's optional as well. And it's a way to try and streamline the process for clients. Um, and what that does is it, it minimizes costs, it makes it more efficient, it can save a lawyer's um, time by sort of 10 to 15 hours, which is a significant amount of um, money, money. In, in terms of <laughs> money. That's all I'm going to say. It, it is, it is money, and that's a real concern for people going oh. through to 
you know, how much is this going to cost me and how can I keep my cost down? So my, the whole sort of mission and idea around Confidant is that we will help people go through a family law issue. And I am an advocate and I can help people go to court and, and, and argue their case in court. But actually, it's it's being a bit more creative and thinking more in, innovatively. How can we help people go through this process so that it's more family focused? It's not going to be as expensive. We take some of the stress away for clients. It's a really important part of my offering. And I, I think that's just so important. And probably now the listener will probably understand why why I've chosen you out of all the 40 million lawyers that we have in in, in Jersey. One of the things that I, I did want to mention, as you probably are aware, we will have a lot of listeners who are not in Jersey, um, who are in different Crown territories and, and things like that. Um, no, I, I know you don't want to go and get divorced in another country or another jurisdiction, <laughs> but um, what we'll try to do is to try to make this as kind of, I, I think it's amazing what Confidant has done, because obviously if I'd known what I know, having spoken to you, I'd have been like, whoa, that's mm. good. But I really want people to understand the process because you are absolutely right. You know, when you spoke just then about money, mm. you know, at the end of the day, um, we we all have this issue about because money money I think is probably apart from health or or a bereavement is probably up there in the top three stresses of the world you know the external stress and I um whether that's Jersey whether that's the UK right now um we appreciate that everything is is just so ridiculously high and and lawyers you know the the old adage lawyers are the only winners in divorce um comes down to it but it does get to a point and and you know unfortunately I have been through that personal process so let let's talk about and just on that point though you know I think it doesn't matter how much money you've got so you can have lots and lots and lots of money no one wants to spend fortunes with a lawyer you know it doesn't bring anyone any pleasure to spend lots of money with their lawyer so and you are right when you say, you know, the divorce law lawyers are the winners in divorce. And I think that's right. If a case ends up in court, and I'm, I'm talking about the sort of run of the mill case, I'm not talking yeah. about a really serious case that does need yes. the contention. Yeah. So there may be a protective issue around a person or a protective issue around uh, the, the assets. There may be very good reason to go to court. But going to court generally, if you can avoid court, then you yeah, are yeah. keeping control of your case. And if you end up in court, lawyers are generally the winners because the clients don't win. There isn't a winning, a winner or a loser in a, in a divorce situation in court. So you're right. It's about, you know, keeping legal fees to an absolute minimum if you possibly can um, and, and to keep control so that, that you do find a solution that you're both happy with and then you are both winners. And you haven't been through that court experience where actually it's a it's a traumatic experience. It's expensive. It's stressful. It's not good for the kids. It's not good for you. And no one comes out of that that experience. No, I, I totally I totally agree. So so let's start at the beginning. So, you know, relationships fail. We, we get that. You know, it's it's kind of an inevitable thing these days for whatever reason. So, you know, we go through just before we start to break into the divorce. Is there a step that possibly we could do before we make that final decision for divorce? Definitely. I think it's really important to think about what, what divorce means for someone in, in its totality. So 
you know, we sort of use the word divorce, but let's really think about what, what that is. So that is a process where somebody or both, both of the, the, the parties are going through a huge amount of loss. It's a grieving process. It's loss of their life partner, the future they hoped of, time with their children, possibly wider family members and friends. So hugely emotional. And you're dealing with really powerful and negative emotions. So fear, we were talking before about uncertainty, the uncertainty of what the future looks like. How are the kids going to cope? Am I going to be able to, um, to, to make ends meet financially? So there's all of this fear about the future. Um, maybe anger, sadness, so you've all of these really raw and powerful emotions going on when you're thinking about divorce. So if you then imagine that you have to start all of a sudden making life-changing decisions about the children and the home and the property and the, the, all of the other assets, it's too difficult for people to do all of that at once. So I think the first step, and I really encourage my clients to consider therapy, and that might be individual therapy to try and help process some of those emotions, because the more you can process and heal using the right professional. So having someone who's skilled and qualified to help you process those emotions, if you're able to start dealing with those emotions um, away from a divorce process, then you're going to have better judgment within the divorce process. You're going to be able to make better decisions. So I think therapy on an individual basis is really important. Joint therapy is also really important. So rolling back slightly, if you um, are in a situation where you think the marriage has come to an end, but you're not completely certain that that's what you want, or one of you would like to explore the idea of reconciliation, then couples counselling. You know, it, it, it's not going to, in the grand scheme of things, be overly expensive to try out couples counselling. And you're going to find out quite quickly within that process whether a reconciliation is an option. But if it's not, you can continue down the path of couples counselling and you can look at ways to try and separate amicably. So it's a really good investment. It's a good investment of time and money to engage a therapist or a counsellor to start to help work through the emotional side of the divorce. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't deal with those emotions and you launch into divorce proceedings and you've got all of these emotions swirling around, who makes a good decision when they're absolutely furious? Agreed. Everybody does. You know, if the relationship's broken down because somebody's had an affair and somebody is, is, is so angry, feeling resentment, betrayal, how do you make good decisions around really important things when, when that emotion is sort of the... the yeah. It's impossible to do that. So take time, take stock, get some help. And engaging the right people at the right time is the way to approach it. A lawyer is going to be a very expensive counsellor and they're not qualified to counsel. No. You know, we I can think... be listening here, but that's a really expensive way <laughs> to, you know, to get some support. And actually it's not, you're not using the right person at the right time. I think, you know, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. And I'm just going to add a little bit about, you know, I try not to use the M word for every podcast, but the menopause comes in a massive um, event in women's lives. So we know there's, you know, from a chemical, we're hormonally like all over the place. Um, and you will often, there's a book, um, well, there's quite a few books actually, it's been written, but the time of your life where it's all about the change. And then you will find that many relationships 
or many women decide that's it. Now, it could be because children have left home. Mm. And I was doing a, a conference in Gibraltar and one of the women was like, what happens when you look at your husband and you realise you don't want to be with him anymore? <laughs> and I said, I don't think that's menopausal, but that might be. So you might just want to like take a little bit of step back on this. Um, but, you know, we know that this is quite a big time for, for women to suddenly like go, do you know what? Mm. I'm kind of done. So if we've gone through the counselling process, and I, that's why I was saying about that, sorry, just ticking on to the counselling, because that's quite a good time for you to understand whether or not it is you per se just grounding and needing a little bit of time out or whether or not this is really what you're looking for. We've got enough hormonal issues going on right now. We really don't need to add the additional anxiety and stress if you're not doing it for 100% the right reason, which is kind yeah, of absolutely. you know absolutely. reiterating what you said. Absolutely. Um, so, and also, Judy, yeah. you know, it, we think about women going through the menopause and making life-changing decisions. Yeah. And I don't want to step outside my expertise here, but it's quite common for a relationship yeah. to break down and maybe, well, I say quite common, but it's it, it can be the case that you've got a female client who's saying, you know, I think my husband is going through a bit of a midlife crisis. Yeah. Yes. And, and that happens probably as often. Um, so I think in that situation, um, it's the andropause, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm <laughs> thinking about timing and what's going on for people and why they're making those decisions, you know, having that therapy and exploring that, you may be able to save your marriage. Who knows? You know, yeah. that's the best case. The worst case is that you might be able to work through your communication issues. So whatever the situation, I think it's really worth exploring some kind of therapy. Um, I mean, that's a great, a great step, isn't it? I mean, it's a great step. But, you know, so we go through the counselling and no, it, it's a definite, you know, Definitely, no, no, we both made no, our mind. No reconciliation. Yeah, the, a reconciliation is not on the table. Let's, let's imagine you've so established We'll go down that. option B, okay? okay. So <laughs> option B. So we're now at the point, at that point, is there any other step that we can put in before appointing a lawyer each? Or is there any way we can have the same lawyer? Or can we go somewhere else first? So I think... What's really interesting for me, and I don't, you tell me what you think, but I think for a lot of people, they think either we try and sort this out between ourselves, and if we can't, we'll instruct a lawyer. And if our lawyers can't sort it out for us, then we're going to end up in court. And I think that's generally people's perception of what it's going to look like. And actually, it doesn't have to be like that. People have got so many options available to them. I just don't think people realize it. I actually don't think lawyers explain it properly to clients either that people have a full suite of options available to them. There's all sorts of out of court methods. So one option is potentially mediation. So oh, that's a process where, um, where you, you go along, it's a voluntary process. So you both have to be willing to attend mediation. Um, you'll go along, you will have a mediator. So somebody who's trained, to help you resolve issues and disputes. So there may be financial issues, there may be children issues, it might be to do with the arrangements with the children, or it might be both issues. And what happens is you go along to mediation and the mediator manages the conversation. So you have the opportunity to air grievances and to explain how you're feeling and why you want a certain outcome. Um, but the, the mediator's there to sort of help you keep moving forward. 
And the idea is that through that process, you hopefully reach a set of outcomes. So you can reach an agreement uh, with each other within that process. Now, the agreement wouldn't be legal and binding because it's all without prejudice. So it's an opportunity where you can speak freely with one another. But you can take those sets of outcomes to your lawyer and your lawyer can turn that into an agreement for you. So it's an option to try mediation. Uh, mediation is pretty cost effective. And the most important thing about mediation is that you take ownership of the process and you reach a set of proposals that you're both um, sort of, I don't say happy, but you're comfortable with, you can live with. But what's really important, I think, for people to understand is that you, you should really get legal advice at the same time. It's really important. So let's imagine you've been through therapy and you're thinking, okay, how can we sort out our differences? We've got to sort out the finances. I would encourage people to get legal advice at that point. Go and get some individual legal advice, because if you can understand what you're what you're entitled to legally and take that with you to mediation, then you won't find yourself at the end of the mediation session, then going to get legal advice for the first time oh, and realizing, okay. oh, I didn't take the pension into account, for example. And now I realize that I can. And now we have to sort of hit reverse and, and, and unravel the situation. So. I think it's great to go and get some legal advice at the beginning. Your lawyer isn't going to be able to give you detailed legal advice around what the outcome should be because your lawyer won't have enough information at that point. But your lawyer can give you advice on broad principles um, and how um, divorce is tackled generally uh, by, by the law and the courts in, in Jersey or whatever jurisdiction you're in. So I think it's, again, we talk about spending your money with the right person at the right time. Yeah, Get legal yeah. advice at the beginning. It doesn't mean you're going to have to stay um, sort of or, or continue down that route with a lawyer and spend fortunes. It's an investment to have some legal advice at the outset. So I think get some legal advice at the outset and then try other methods. So you can try mediation. You can have mediation in tandem with legal advice. So you can sort of have your lawyer be helping you in the background while you're going through that process. There's hybrid mediation where your lawyer, so if you don't feel entirely confident going along to mediation, let's say there's a power imbalance in the relationship and your mediator's trained to deal with those power imbalances okay so it's not appropriate for you to go along if there is this power imbalance if a mediator can't address that power imbalance then mediation won't be suitable for you but one way to try and circumvent that might be to bring your lawyer to mediation and you might think well that sounds like it's starting to get expensive you're paying for a lawyer to come to mediation you're paying for mediation but if you think about it as a whole if you reach an agreement at the end of that process yeah, yeah. then it, ultimately it's probably going to be a, a cost saving process for you so you can bring your lawyer to mediation that's another example another example Trudy is let's say you can't reach an agreement in respect of the kids and the arrangements if the kids are old enough they can come along to mediation so there's something called child inclusive mediation and it's not you're not asking the children to make decisions but they get an opportunity to express themselves and express their wishes and that may be enough to unlock those issues so there's all sorts of methods and ways of trying to reach agreement out of court and i i would encourage everyone who is going through that journey to find out about all of your options. There's no one size fits all. So it doesn't, you know, if, if mediation didn't work for you, try something else. 
or if you're going through the mediation process and you reach an impasse, bolt something else on. There are there are other options out there to help you get through that impasse. So knowledge is power. And if you understand what all your options are, you can start to be bespoke your journey. And then you feel in control. And control is a really important thing. When you are, are frightened and scared and there's all of this uncertainty and you don't know what the future looks like, having some control over the process, I think, is really, really important. And if you resign yourself to the fact that your lawyers are going to be sorting things out and then the court's going to sort things out, you've got no control, really, in that situation. If you are asking a judge to decide the outcome of your case, you're basically handing over to a stranger decisions about the most important things in your life, the children, your assets, um, and you've got no control when you go to court. So hanging on to as much control as possible, understanding that you have that control, I think is so important. I think, Kylie, you've just, you know, you summed that up beautifully. And um, I am hoping that listeners who will be, who will be taking this into account will, will really understand that because I know, I mean, I've unfortunately been through the process of divorce and I was never explained any of that. Mm. Um, and I think that to me is step one. And, uh, you know, we were saying that, but knowledge is power in, in, in any of these instances and in all of these podcasts that I've done. Um, I, I hope that somebody will learn something that will take and they will know where to go and what to do, because I just thought that was amazing advice that you've given um, and certainly things like um, hybrid mediation, which I'd never even heard of. And in fact, you know, from a personal perspective, that would have been ideal. Um, and it just makes you think, doesn't it? Oh, well, that, this gives you that little bit more without then going into the lawyers. Just to ask you one question. Can one party appoint a lawyer and the other party not? Yes, absolutely. Okay. You don't have to engage a lawyer. You can you can represent yourself. Um okay. So, you know, even if one party has a lawyer and let's let's imagine the worst case scenario going to court, if someone chooses not to engage a lawyer, that's absolutely fine. They can represent themselves. So you're not obliged to engage a lawyer. Um, you talked about sort of a couple engaging one lawyer um, that's starting to um, to be an option, I think, in England. Uh, it's not an option in Jersey at the moment. Okay. But, you know, it, it was, as I said, it was Confidant's birthday on Tuesday. And I am really, I, I made a list of my goals for the next 12 months. And I really want to start thinking about other services that I can bolt on. Um, and, you know, giving clients these options, you know, is it possible to instruct one lawyer? Um, you know, if things start to break down within that process, then they would have to go yes, off and absolutely. Their, own, their own lawyer. But I think, you know, that as an option is, is an interesting concept. But what, what clients can do is you, there's something called collaborative law as well, where um, two lawyers come together and they work together. So they're instructed, one will be instructed by wife, one will be instructed by husband, but they're working together. So it's more of a team effort. And the idea is that you essentially sign up to um, avoiding court. So that process is we're going to try and work through everything together and we are not going to go to court. Now, that process can also break down, in which case you go and instruct different lawyers and potentially, you know, the court will be engaged. But it's about it's about being creative and thinking, thinking about you know, what's going to work best for your family. And look, a good divorce, there's sort of lots of mention at the moment about, you know, can you have a good divorce? And I think it's important to, 
use the word good in context. You know, I'm not suggesting that someone's going to want to go and repeat the process. I'm not suggesting it's that good, but you want to do it again. But, um, you know, I think for most people, a good outcome is reaching an agreement between yourself. So not, not, not handing the decision over to a judge, not having court proceedings. Keeping costs as, as, as minimized as possible. You know, you're going to incur costs, it's a fact. And actually to do it properly, it's right that you incur some costs because it's an investment. And if you don't get advice, you may do yourself a disservice. So if you don't spend money on a lawyer and you, you agree not to, let's say, for example, take the pensions into account, you may end up much worse off. So it's actually an investment to, to get advice and to engage a lawyer. Um, but uh, so keeping things out of court, reaching an agreement, uh, keeping costs contained and keeping your relationship intact because um, most people want to be parents, want to be co-parents, good co-parents after the process. So I think those three ingredients make up generally for most people a good, a good divorce, a good, you know, where you get to a good outcome and you can move forward with your lives. And that, and you know, I've actually just, you'll probably have seen me scribbling um, there because in fact, um, I will be using that as the title for this podcast um and we've just i knew i know things always come to me when we're when we're talking and you just say things and you're like oh yeah that's it you've got it um so we've gone through now where we've we've literally got to the point now I, one of the things i want to also mention or also mention no not also mention but also ask is mm. um when it comes to disclosure of assets mm. so um when a relationship is broken it break obviously breaking down you're relying on each party to disclose assets fully. Hmm. Um, at any point, you know, the lawyers are only entitled to the information they have received, I presume. You you know, is it, I mean, how does all that work? Yeah, right? so, you know, whatever method you use, so even in a mediation um, process, exchanging information around the finances is key. Because you need to know what there is to be able to move on to the next stage and work out how to divide all of the assets and the liabilities and the income, etc. So the first stage is what is there? Now, you can go through that process quite comprehensively, or you can do it on a much more condensed version. So you might just exchange you know, a sort of a schedule with each other. And, and if you're pretty confident that you know what the finances globally okay. look like, then you may opt not to go through the sort of fuller disclosure process. So there's different ways of doing it, but it's really important that you know what there is to begin with. And you will go through that process of mediation. So the mediators will take you through it because often the case, Judy, is, is that one person has taken control of the finances and the other person has just left that spouse to deal with everything and they have focused on something else in the marriage. So it's important that both people are on a level playing field and they both know exactly what the finances look like. Now, I think in your question, you were alluding to, well, how do you know if someone has been honest <laughs> when they're sharing that information? And that's I a real that. people. You sounded such a lawyer then, Carly. <laughs> I was I think, alluding to that, yes, all right. <laughs> And I think that that can be a real problem for people. Um, and now if you're going through a mediation process and you don't think that your spouse has shared all information, 
then it would be appropriate to sort of opt out of mediation at that point, potentially. Okay. So, but you can come back to mediation. But if you don't, if you're not satisfied that the information that they have shared is, is accurate or full, then you could go to, you can instruct your lawyers if you haven't already instructed lawyers, and you could go through a more formal disclosure process. Um, and there are documents in Jersey called affidavits of means, the equivalent in England, it's a form E. Um, and, you know, by its very nature, an affidavit, it's essentially like giving evidence in court and okay. giving evidence on oath. When you swear your affidavit, you're swearing that the contents are true to the best of your knowledge, information and belief. And if you provide dishonest information in that document, you are committing perjury. So it, it sort of... It, it, <laughs> you're raising your eyebrows as if, you know, you know an awful lot about this, but... Um, <laughs> Oh, no comment, Your Honour. Um. It, 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 adds, it adds a layer of seriousness to it um, because there are implications if you're not honest when you go through that process. And what you're also required to do is attach lots of documentation. So bank statements for the last 12 months. So if you've got a secret account and you've been transferring money over to that secret account um, in your sort of last 12 months of uh, bank statements, and th there's going to be an account and money. So you can start to, um, to drill down on... Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you get the opportunity to ask questions around the disclosure and the documentary evidence. So if there's anything missing or deficient or, um, you know, there's a concern about something, you get an opportunity to ask questions. So you can formalise the disclosure process by doing that through the lawyers. And if you think, you know, someone's not engaging in that process. Um, then you can engage the court and you can ask the court to help you with case management. So you can get specific orders from the court to, um, let's say, uh, someone hasn't disclosed their business accounts, then you can go to court and you can get the court to order that somebody discloses their business accounts. And then if that person doesn't disclose their business accounts, then they're going to be in breach of a court order, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yeah. You sort of think um, about it in stages. Yeah, one of the, one of the other... Um, one of the other thick point is mm. I'm, that an asset which, you know, whether it's a husband or wife, whichever, as you say, um, carefully managed. But if there is a work pension yeah. um, and that, you know, again, from from either party that it can be. Uh, I don't want to use the word hidden because that's not correct, but obviously you're paying into it and it's only from there and you're not actually that the employee is not actually accrued any income on that pension. Um, how does that get taken into effect? Because obviously it's a, a, an, a an asset only to the point of when it's yes. drawn down. So it's relevant. Um, all assets are taken into account. So um, assets in your sole name, assets in joint names, if you hold assets with any third party, everything is taken into account, including pensions. And I think a lot of people think or try and agree with their spouse at the outset. Well, let's let's divide everything, but let's just, you know, keep our pensions to ourselves. So, you know, we can't access them until we're 60 or 65. So let's just let's just exclude them. Uh, and that's not uh, the legal approach. Everything is taken into account. And you're right to identify that for most people, it's an illiquid asset. So you can't cash it in sometimes, most of the time you can't cash it in. I, you know, there will be an early retirement date. It might be when you're 55 or 60 and you might be able to cash in a, a percentage of it. But for most people, it's a liquid. So you get the value of the pension. So you ask a pension provider to provide you with the value. 
And then um, it, depending on the circumstances, so this isn't, you know, this, this isn't necessarily appropriate in every case, but largely what will happen is to reflect the fact that it is an illiquid asset, you apply a discount to it. So let's say the value is 250,000, you will discount it maybe by a third, let's say, to reflect the illiquid nature of it. Now in Jersey, you can't pension share. So you, in, in England, you can, the, the, the legislation provides that the, the court has the power to, um, to make pension sharing orders. In Jersey, we don't have, uh, or that, that's not set out in our legislation. So the court doesn't have that power. And um, so instead, generally what happens in Jersey is it's offset against other assets. So let's imagine one spouse has a pension. It's worth 250,000. After discount, it's worth 200 for argument's sake. Um, it may be that, so let's say that's the husband, then the wife may get more of the sale proceeds from the matrimonial home, for example, to offset the fact that she doesn't have a pension. So it's absolutely taken into account, but sometimes, um, more often than not, a discount is applied. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Another piece of information. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm holding all of this information. <laughs> not that I'm married now, I'm just going to throw it out there. Done that, got the t-shirt. That's when I say to you, so Carly, have you ever thought about getting married? <laughs> be my last question, but you've just thrown it in there. Um, <laughs> you don't have to ask that question. Um, so, um, so now we're literally coming into this final bit. So we've now, we're now going through this process. We've done the affidavit of means or the statement of assets. So how long, if we, if let's leave the court out of this, because I'd like to think that unless you're going to tell me otherwise, that most divorces don't go to court now, that, you know, really. And the other thing that I haven't mentioned on this is children. There's mm -hmm. a service, isn't it? I think mm -hmm. where, I, where you could have, I'm just giving you a little business here, um, but the counselling of children or, or the ability to talk to children. Because I think as a parent that has gone through that, you're so wrapped up in your own bubble of of emotions and trying to either extricate out or whatever that actually the children at this point and as awful as it sounds and I'm going to say are not important of course they are important but they don't necessarily seemingly come into the play of being able to talk to them particularly if they're younger is it important for parents to be looking to get some kind of children's counseling involved I mean, potentially, I think probably what's more important is for um, parents or a couple to back to the beginning of uh, the, the podcast, you know, get your own therapy, um, because if you are managing your own emotions, you're going to be more available for the children. And I think the other really important thing is for parents to really understand that Children are resilient. Children can adjust. And there's research to support this. Children can ad adjust to a change in the family dynamic if it's managed well by their parents. Research also supports that the most damaging thing for children is parental conflict. So if mum and dad realise that, you know, we need to keep this out of court, we need to try and sort this out, we need to get therapy, we need to be there for the kids, we need to manage this well, we need to, um, to do our best for the children. And what that means is that we can communicate with one another. So we need to go and get some help to 
to do better at our communication because the worst thing, the worst job we can do for our kids is co-parent badly because parental conflict is the thing that's going to have an impact on the children. So yes, if the children are struggling and they, they, they could do with some therapy, but I think it really sort of starts with the parents and how they manage things. And if they are able to, um, to deal with things together, so to put on a united front when it comes to the children, to be able to deliver the news of the, the family breakdown, the marriage breakdown to the children together, to reassure children, don't make children the messengers, the worst thing you can do, don't argue in front of the children, don't uh, be derogatory about their other parent in front of them. You know, if you can, if you can be really, really strict with yourself and disciplined, that you will manage your divorce and protect the children to shield them and 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 you won't slag off your your husband or your wife or your ex and and you won't say you know tell dad to pick you up at whatever time or tell mum that you know I'll be dropping you off late that puts kids in the middle so you know really work and focus on the basics if, if parents can get the basics right hopefully you're going to do a good job for your kids and hopefully they're not going to need therapy. So I think it sort of starts with how mum and dad deal with the breakdown um, and managing their own emotions frees up space so that they're available for their own children. And something that, that adult children of divorced parents report as being the, the worst part of the experience, not being heard not being informed, not being heard. So sort of speaking to children and, and keeping them fully informed and asking what their wishes and feelings are. And, uh, and like I said, when, when I was talking about um, child inclusive mediation, that doesn't mean that you're handing the decision making to them, but you're taking their thoughts and their wishes and feelings on board. And you're listening to what the children want, because let's imagine mum and dad are in a dispute around the, you know, how to divide the week. And, you know, people sort of get fixated on this 50-50 thing, but that not, might not be what the children want, or that might not be in their best interest. You could still have shared residence. So the principle is still there that you, you know, you're both sharing the care of the children, but it might not be precisely 50-50. And what the children want, factoring that in and building that into your considerations and your, your conversations, it might unlock the problem. So I think, letting children have an opportunity to express themselves um is really great important. great advice carly really good really good advice um so just as our final pointer just now because we've really going through the whole process here how long because i still am slightly confused at this um about the decree nice site is this a generic yeah. term or is this a jersey term um, the decree, uh, they just changed the terminology in England, oh. actually, but it, it was uh, until recently, until the no-fault no divorce, it was decree NISO. Uh, in Jersey, it's decree NISO. So the way I describe it to my clients is if you sort of think about two processes, so you've got the divorce procedure and then you've got the finances. Now, the finances weave into the divorce procedure at, at a certain point, but let's just think about the divorce procedure. It's, it's really formulaic. It's essentially a form-filling exercise. Um, and you, the person who's issuing those proceedings is the petitioner and the person receiving the, uh, the, the uh, proceedings, they're the respondent. So the petitioner starts, thing off, starts things off, they fill in their forms, the respondent has a couple of forms to fill in, and the petitioner has a couple of forms to fill in, and then you get to the decree nisi point. So there are two certificates in the divorce process. The first one is decree nisi. 
Once you've got your decree nisi, the petitioner, so the person who started those proceedings, they can apply for the decree absolute. That's the second and final certificate in the process. That's the, the certificate which dissolves the marriage. They can apply for that six weeks and one day after the decree nisi. So that process in itself it possibly takes... I don't know, 12 weeks, let's say, you know, maybe 10, maybe 12 weeks, something like that. So you can actually get divorced as long as those proceedings aren't defended. So, you know, the, the, the respondent accepts the ground and, you know, you were legally married and you were married for three years, so you can issue divorce proceedings. But assuming there are no complications within that process, that can take about 12 weeks. What complicates things, though, Trudy, is that before you apply for decree absolute, it's sensible often to sort out the finances, set that out in, a, in an agreement, which is a consent order, and then get that approved by the court before you apply for your decree absolute. So the thing that slows the process down is sorting out the finances. So once the finances have been sorted out, then generally what people do is they apply for their decree absolute. So I would say that you can get divorced within sort of 10 to 12 weeks would be a best case scenario. And then essentially it can be, you know, however long it takes to sort out the finances, uh, because generally you stall the application of the absolute until you've sorted out your finances. So the sooner you sort out your finances, the sooner you generally apply for your decree absolute. So I think, you know, and that can really help people as well, because if you can it's sort of, I think the, 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 there's a misconception that it's it's going to take forever, it's going to cost a fortune, it's going to be yeah, nice. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Actually, it could be a sort of 12, 12 week process, potentially, if you can sort the finances out whilst your divorce process is ongoing and afoot. Um, and then sort of weave that in at the end of the procedure, then you can be done and dusted. Ah, you see, okay. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, um, from, again, from looking at other people's experiences, some people, I mean, I, I, I got mine done quite quickly um, compared to some people who seem to take two and a half, three years. And I was like, well, how can that be? You know, like, it just sort of happened. I, I, you know, again, I think we all have that when we're in it, in the divorce proceedings, a lot of the time you don't really remember too much about it. You're sort of just going through yeah. a... And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that lots was happening in that whole period. So, you know, generally there's a fight, flight or freeze uh, reaction. And so for some people it's freeze and nothing happens for ages. Um, and so you might sort of issue divorce proceedings and then it all falls dormant. You know, life takes over. People just start getting on with their sort of the, the middle uh, sort of section and their interim arrangements bed in and they don't want to pick up that ball again. They don't want to start sort of dealing with their divorce. And so they just carry on. Uh, so it might be that just nothing's happening and that's why it takes right. that amount of time. Um, but yeah, you generally will sort out your finances. And once you've reached an agreement, yeah. it's really important for any listeners to, um, you must sort out your finances and you must yeah. have that set out in a consent order if you reach an agreement. And even if you don't really have any assets and you think, well, I don't need to sort out the finances and I'll just apply for my decree absolute and then I'm yes. done. That's not the case. So until no, okay. you have a financial order, your claims remain open. So really important for people to go and get legal advice and to um, to to get a final and binding outcome. Okay, that's very that's I think very good advice as well because um I've also known um, couples that don't have any assets per se and yeah. have just dragged on and then don't really get things sorted and um 
of course that that goes on well thank you very very much for this um I'm sure we could go down there and we could talk about all kinds of different things. I was going to, I was actually going to start talking about prenups at the end of there, but I can see, <laughs> I can see that that might be another, another discussion for another time, looking at our time. Um, I'm really hoping that people have got something from that. Um, if, if that is the way that, you know, we have to go in life um, and that we can reduce stress, just another extrinsic stress factor of our world that, you know, as you say, by, by knowledge is power. And by being able to at least know uh, the process or understand the options open to us, um, the easier it will be. So just to end, and I think you've just done an amazing, you did that halfway through actually, was to give three take home tips for the listener if, um, if they're at the stage where their relationship is breaking down. Yeah, um, I think uh, my take home would be the first one is, Find out what your options are. And if your lawyer's only telling you, well, you know, we'll try and sort it out, you know, we'll have a, we'll, we'll exchange offers in writing. And then, you know, if that doesn't work, we'll go to court. Then, you know, something's gone wrong there. You, you know, there are, as I described, there's a menu of choice. So it's a full suite of options. Find out what they are. So knowledge is power. It's really important that you understand what your options are and bespoke your journey. So work out what's going to work for your family. That's my first take, my first takeaway. The second one is I think about the children because it is really, really important, Trudy. Um, and educate yourself about, um, you know, how children experience divorce and um, do everything in your power to make that experience as, um, as pain less as possible um working together is really important um so understanding how to deal with the children uh, is really really key and the third one is to to take care and look after yourselves because if you're not in a good place and you're not dealing with uh, the emotions then you're not going to be able to make decisions you're not going to be able to deal with your divorce properly so look after yourself. The stronger you're feeling, um, the, the better your judgment is, the more clarity you have, the easier the process is going to be. So you know, prioritize your own self-care because don't underestimate the impact of your own self-care in the process. No, look, that's, uh, I will just, you know, just sort of reiterate that one. That's absolutely imperative. And in fact, you know, if you, it doesn't matter how old you are, because I've, you know, from all the stages, but certainly um, from an older, not an old, older <laughs> perspective, um, it is something that we do tend to like forget. Uh, well, I would think in actually all phases, because we're so busy trying to, you know, we, as women, we are tending to be the carers of the world. We care for the kids, we care for family, we care for everything and everybody, but the last people we care for is ourselves. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much, Carly, for your time. I so appreciate um, appreciate that. I'll be looking for my uh, hours legal fee on that one. Um, uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And um, thank you. And I'm hoping that we might invite you back for another issue. So That's thanks a lot. Thank Cheers, you. Carly. Bye. 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 For more information on the topic that you've just listened to, please visit my website www.vitality40plus.com. Thanks for listening.